Hello, fellow citizens. Welcome to On Civics, On Democracy. The On stands for Ontario, though the issues are the same for most democracies, and we don't ignore the global context. I'm Daryl Lando, your host, founder of Conserve Democracy. This is really the start of the civics course, since the prior episode was just a bit of context. You'll get even more out of this if you follow along with the PowerPoint slides provided on the Conserve Democracy website, conservedemocracy.ca, but you can also look at those after. Today we tackle some basics. I give an overview, but basics also means getting into the heart of things, like why do people want to live in a democracy? Anyone? Anyone? If I could hear you, I'd likely hear about freedom, about control over who is governing you, about rights, about prosperity, and those are all good answers. Here are some facts from ourworldindata.org that support what others have also written. Countries that are democratically ruled are less likely to execute citizens, regulate religion, and censor the press, and they spend more on education. No country that is an autocracy has an average income of more than $15,000 if it is not heavily dependent on fossil fuel exports, or uh, China's becoming the exception, whereas democracies routinely have average incomes above that. So higher standard of living. Few autocratic countries achieved a child mortality below 10 for every 1,000 people, whereas democratic countries often have it at below 10 or even 5. And so those are a number of reasons. And, you know, democracy has been the government of choice for most countries, really, since 1776, when the US, you know, proclaimed its independence. Even in the last 40 years, we can see how it has spread in South America, Africa, and Eastern Europe. But if you live in a democracy, you know that people are often complaining about it, about government, about politicians and politics. Canada's Samara Centre for Democracy surveyed the public and found that 42% of us think that ordinary people could run things better than the politicians. Why do people complain about it? I imagine you say that it's a messy business or that it's human nature to complain or that you can't trust politicians. And really, we have the freedom to complain, unlike in many authoritarian countries, and we know more about what's happening than in such regimes. So even if we complain more, it doesn't mean that we'd rather be living in a dictatorship. What is a democracy anyway? Unlike an autocracy or one ruler, it's ruled by the demos, the people. And who are the people? Initially, it wasn't everyone, as we know, not women, for instance, but now we include all citizens. However, that is defined. All citizens have an equal vote. Rich people don't get a different vote. Democracy is considered the best system for ensuring that the government serves the public interest, the common good, not just certain special groups. How do the people rule? Well, the most basic way is by choosing our government through voting in elections. Democracy is a system that embraces the peaceful change of government to please the people. Unlike a monarchy or a dictatorship where you have to put up with the ruler or try to violently overthrow that person, democracy has time limits for all politicians to have to seek the people's approval 
with other contestants vying for the job. Now, I've spoken about voting, but democracy is more than that. I like the quote that uh, it's hard to attribute it to a particular person, but democracy is something that you do. So citizens can and must do more than vote. They need to be paying attention to what's happening and hold their representatives accountable and make their voices heard. The words politician and politics come from the Greek polis, meaning affairs of the cities. Aristotle wrote a book that centuries later in early modern Europe was called Politique, and during the wars of religion in early modern Europe, Politique was also a label for courtiers who advocated a moderate policy on religion. They may have changed religions to suit the monarch of the day, now Catholic, now Protestant. The label had a negative connotation until, in our modern age, being tolerant of difference became a positive and we don't like the state telling us what to believe. Modern democracies are therefore usually liberal or constitutional democracies. By liberal, I refer to the long philosophical tradition, not to any partisan group. So most of our political parties are liberal in the philosophic sense, in their values about rule of law and human rights and minority rights, etc., although, of course, they differ on important beliefs, if you're conservative or liberal, etc. But they all believe that the basic laws of the land should be enshrined in a constitution, which is kind of sacred and not easily changed. So Steven Pinker, in his book Enlightenment Now, writes, Democracy depends both on constitutional protections, such as freedom of the press, and shared norms, in particular that political leadership is determined by the rule of law and nonviolent political competition, rather than a charismatic leader's will to power, end quote. And that's a good summation. But we have lots of examples of charismatic leaders who do want power and don't like limits on their power. And it's the institutions and the norms that keep this power in check. So in the US, Donald Trump may be president, but the Democrats and the courts and the civil service, the media, civil society, international agreements, and even sometimes his own Republican Party can hold him in check. Now, this, of course, brings up the other type of democracy, which is a majoritarian, or some might say a populist type. And the main thing that matters there is the election the will of the majority, the will of the people, in quotes, which determines everything. It is not constrained by laws and institutions. If our country or province was such a democracy, and the English no longer wanted to give equal rights to the French or the Catholics to others, the leaders could change that easily. But in our democracy, we don't allow them to do that easily. Now, people speak of a crisis of democracy right now. Freedom House, an organization that rates freedom and democracy, says that we are in a democratic recession. The last few years have seen the first reversal in the spread of democracy for quite some time, and the quality has declined by measures that expect more than just free and fair elections. So what has caused this? Lots of things, but the 2008 financial crisis was a big global punch, and then there was the migrant crisis of 2015 in Europe and, to some extent, the U.S. 
There's also, of course, the disruption of new technology as we go through the third industrial revolution in more developed economies, while in emerging economies, it's their first revolution. Add in Islamist terror from 2001 on, the climate crisis, globalism, Russian meddling, and you can understand why things are pretty shaky. And Trump is both cause and symptom. So in many countries, we've seen election quality decline. We've seen leaders extend their terms of office by various means. We've seen freedom of expression decline in many countries and the targeting of migrants, even ethnic cleansing or genocide in places like Myanmar. So has liberal democracy failed? Is that why people are turning to strongmen and dictators? And the answer is no, or not entirely, but they haven't done great. We've made progress in making minorities welcome and extending individual rights, dealing with extreme poverty, making some environmental improvements, public health care, reducing crime. But much of this could be better, and there's lots that hasn't been done. For instance, the wealth gap keeps growing. And on the environment, we take one step forward and another step back. Now, the problems government has to deal with aren't easy, and many are relatively new problems. But it also doesn't help that there are scandals on spending and corruption. And yes, it's very challenging to govern while you have opposition on the right and the left and criticism from the news media. But that's democratic politics, and the public expects honesty rather than government public relations. So there are lots of books these days writing about the current state of things. The people wonder whether the problem is in our brains, as in too dumb for democracy, or as Canada's Dave Meslin has written in Teardown, that the whole system is a mess. A leading American journalist of the 1980s, George Will, said, quote, We have seen in the last 50 or 60 years the pretensions of government grow and the prestige of government plummet. And we could probably say the same today, although whether those two things is, are linked or not is an ongoing debate, but it is of interest. Now, to me... Democratic politics is like the stock market. If you look at a day or a week of the market, it can look wild and bouncing up and down and you feel like a roller coaster. But if you look at the market over a period of 10 or 20 years, you see the upward progress. And so some people don't have the strong stomach for democratic politics and others love it. But the important message is to remember the big picture and the gradual upward progress. And here in Canada, things seem fairly okay. Not necessarily great, but relatively stable. We rank fourth or sixth in the world for the quality of our democracy based on a couple organizational measures. But I, I know that uh, we are not necessarily special. We are at risk like anywhere else. And I know some of you are probably shouting out there that Canada is full of problems, and I assure you, I will not ignore those in future episodes. But for now, I want to give an overview of a model that I developed for democracy, the seven pillars model that's going to serve as the structure for the coming podcasts. And 
We begin with the first pillar, equality and consent of the governed, which is about elections and the importance of, as I said, that we have an equal vote, an equal voice for every citizen, um, you know, at least in theory. And then we will cover the second, freedom and truth, which is about the way we hold our leaders accountable, particularly between elections, and the fact that our freedom depends on knowing the truth about what government is doing. Next is justice and the rule of law. Democracy depends on the law, on human rights, on courts and the justice system. The fourth pillar is diversity and pluralism. Do minorities and women see themselves reflected in our institutions? Also, does our society and politics allow for diverse opinions and free expression? And how well do we handle the arrival of new Canadians? And then there is unity, which needs to balance diversity. Because democracy is a rough adversarial game, so what keeps us held together and respecting each other as citizens? This subject is often overlooked in discussions of democracy. And similarly, the next pillar, security, is important and perhaps overlooked because all states, regardless of being democracies, need to worry about security. But democracy balances that with freedom. How does it do that? And what type of world is safe for democracy, which prefers to prosper in peace rather than make war with other neighbors? And finally, we talk about competence and prosperity. We deal with what kind of economy is best for democracy, um, capitalism, socialism, mixed economy. Uh, we talk about fiscal management and the importance of staying out of crisis because often crisis is not good for democracy. We talk also about civil servants and the idea of a technocracy and the role of experts. So once we cover all that, we will, I think, have a very good understanding of our modern democracies and we'll have a few leftover topics to dig into. So I've gone on longer than I intended. I, I want to keep these uh, short and sweet. So I'm going to sign off and hope that you'll keep listening. I'm Daryl Lando of Conserve Democracy. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Serve Democracy. All the best. Take care. Mm -hmm.